Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. So on today's show, it is the second installment of a three-part series with the uh, Nationwide Retirement Institute. Uh, The first episode, which was with my brother, Stephen Calandra, who is part of the Retirement Institute at Nationwide, covered tax-efficient retirement income planning. If you haven't listened to that episode, I strongly suggest you check it out. Today, again, the second part in the three-part episode series uh, is in regards to Roth IRAs. And I have with me uh, Doug Ewing, and we're going to talk about Roth IRAs. Uh, Doug, thanks for taking some time to uh, speak with me today. My pleasure, Chris. Nice to be here. So you have the pleasure of working with my brother. This is true. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, rumor has it, and this may or may not have come from my brother, is that you are the go-to person with the Retirement Institute on the topic of tax-efficient retirement income planning. Um, Why do you have that reputation? Yeah, you know, Chris, I think it was probably kind of an accident of of timing in a way. Uh, So I joined the Retirement Institute in May of 2019. And as I came over, uh, Carlo Cardasco, the gentleman that we uh, report up to, was in the process of rolling out this tax efficient retirement income program. And it was it overlapped a lot with something I had been doing at my prior employer. And so as soon as I saw it, I thought, I love this. This is this is something that I really uh, am passionate about. I really enjoy talking about. So I kind of dove into it and um, I've leveraged the program uh, quite a bit, both in talking with financial professionals and also with uh, clients and retirement plan participants. And uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of happened. So um, it, it's, it's worked out really well. That's great. So hopefully we could tap into a little of that expertise. Going to talk about Roth IRAs in particular. So maybe just to kind of make sure everyone is on the same page. Could we first off cover some of the basics of Roth IRAs, especially from the perspective of distributions and income planning? Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, we can give a little bit of a, of a history lesson. We, you know, we know that the, um, the, the Roth was, um, was introduced back in the late 1990s, and it was really just kind of an alternative savings vehicle. And the, and the first thing that came out was the Roth IRA. And for those of you who have ever contributed to a traditional IRA, you know that the, you know, the way that generally works is um, I make a, con- a contribution to a traditional IRA. And I, you know, I usually get to deduct that contribution on my tax return. It is a pre-tax contribution. The money grows tax deferred. And then I don't have to pay taxes on that money until I withdraw it in retirement. And a Roth was just an alternative to that because with a Roth IRA, what we're doing is we're contributing to the IRA, but we're doing it on an after-tax basis. We don't get a tax deduction. We're using after-tax money to fund it. Um, But the trade-off for that is the growth in a Roth IRA, when I eventually take it out in retirement, comes out typically you know, completely tax-free with with some exceptions that quite frankly, you're not all that likely to run into. Um, Where I think the opportunity has really exploded in recent years has been with the introduction of designated Roth accounts within qualified retirement plans. 
because while Roth IRAs are good, right, um, they haven't been widely utilized. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, first of all, a lot of people can't contribute to a Roth because they make too much money. Uh, and then the other issue is, you know, the contribution limits are good. You can do $6,000 a year plus an extra $1,000 if you're over age 50, but they're not great. And with the introduction of designated Roth accounts and qualified retirement plans, you know, we got rid of the income restriction. So anybody can now fund a Roth account and the contribution limits are much better. You know, $19,500 in salary deferral. If I'm over age 50, I can get another 6,500 in there. So now all of a sudden you have this opportunity to get as much as $26,000 a year into a Roth account. And I think that's really piqued a lot of interest. And I think that's a, a really big reason that the program has really kind of taken off in the last couple of years. Yeah, that is great. And, and we're going to talk more about this, but it opens up terrific planning opportunities when you're able to take some income that you need in retirement out tax-free. I want to ask you though, and you bring up a good point about the advantage of Roths being available in employer response employer-sponsored retirement plans like 401ks, but the employer who sponsors the 401k does need to allow for Roth contributions. Do you have any sense of how many 401ks out there allow for Roth today? Because I think 10 years ago, there were few companies that did that. And I believe there's been a lot of adoption on that front, but can you point to any uh, do you have any sense of how many 401ks have Roth versus only have pre-tax contributions? Yeah. You know, I don't have any statistics I can cite for you, but I will say this anecdotally, it's really kind of gotten to the point recently where it's fairly unusual yeah. to run into a retirement plan that doesn't have that Roth option in it. Uh, and sometimes I'll even say, you know, I'm talking to, um, uh, plan participants, or I'm just talking to the investing public generally. Um, if your if your current 401k plan or or whatever qualified retirement plan you have, if they don't have a Roth option, talk to the plan sponsor because yes. it's very simple to add at this yes. point. And as I said, I'd, I'd venture to say probably north of 80 or 90 percent of plans are going to have a Roth option at this yeah. point. I, I think anecdotal. I don't have statistics at my fingertips either, but my observation is similar to you, especially big plans, big employers. Right. Uh, I think there are still, you might find smaller employers, if you're listening and you're employed by a small business, uh, they, I think, might be more likely not to have updated uh, the plan to include the Roth, but it's something that can be requested. It's usually not a big change to make. So um, thanks for entertaining that question. So how do Roth IRAs fit into a tax-efficient retirement income plan? Uh, People are usually going to have multiple sources of income in retirement, at least hopefully. Uh, They'll have retirement assets, maybe pre-tax and Roth. They might have after-tax investments, Social Security. Some individuals may have pensions. So usually they're cobbling together income from a couple of different sources. I'll throw in real estate investing income is uh, often in play. So yep. how do Roth IRAs fit into this? Well, you know, when we look at our tax efficient retirement income program, uh, it's really kind of built around this idea of tax diversification. 
And when we talk about tax diversification, I think what you can do is really basically talk about three main categories of potential retirement savings. We'll start with tax deferred. And, you know, my experience, having been a financial professional myself and, you know, working with financial professionals all the time now, is that, you know, most people will have a significant chunk, if not most of their retirement savings in a tax deferred type of account. And that has a lot to do with the success of 401ks. Now, some people will also, as you mentioned, you know, make after-tax investments in a traditional uh, brokerage type of account, just a non-qualified brokerage account where you're going to get the benefit of long-term capital gains on a lot of your investments, which is another potential source of diversification. But that third bucket of money is what we sometimes refer to as the tax-free bucket of money. And that's really where uh, we talk a lot about Roths. And so that's kind of how, how I would look at it in terms of overall tax diversification, having a, uh, you know, your, your so-called taxable bucket, your tax deferred bucket, and your tax-free bucket. And as I mentioned earlier, I think that the, um, the introduction of the designated Roth account within qualified plans has made it easier than ever for people to get some money into that tax-free bucket. I agree uh, completely with you that people that are retiring today often have relatively small amounts in Roth IRAs compared to pre-tax monies. And that makes complete sense. Right. Uh, But over the course of time, I think that is very likely to change. And I'm looking for affirmation from you because Mm -hmm. it seems to me younger individuals and I'll thinking about myself as an example at 50, uh, I am quickly accumulating more Roth money relative to pre-tax money in my retirement nest egg. And so, you know, fast forward five, 10 years and the Roth bucket, that tax-free bucket should be larger for a lot of people. Would you agree with that outlook? I would absolutely agree with that because yeah, we do see uh, a lot of adoption of Roths by younger people entering the workforce because you know the, the the basic argument in favor of a Roth account is you know if you're in a relatively low income tax bracket or if you feel that the current tax environment is you know a relatively low tax environment compared to where we've been in the past and where we might be in the future that's when it makes sense to fund a Roth account and so we're seeing more, you know, young, for younger people, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer because, you know, as you're starting out, you're not making a ton of money. You're probably going to find yourself, um, you know, having a lower effective tax rate and yeah. contributing to a Roth makes a lot of sense. So you're going to see those younger uh, investors develop that Roth bucket. But again, for Chris, for people like you and me, um, you know, even though we might be in a higher tax bracket, than some younger people, you know, you have to take a, and this is something we talk a lot about in the, in the tax efficient retirement income program. You have to be kind of strategic about your tax planning. And so for even for people who might find themselves in, for example, say, you know, the 24% tax bracket, what you have to think about is, you know, yeah, that's a relatively high tax bracket, but by historical standards, and when we look at what could happen three or five or 10 years from now, you can still make a case that it's it's low relative to where it could be 
in the future. And you know, in, with that in mind, I think you're seeing more people like us say, you know, I understand, you know, I'm paying whatever I'm paying to get my money into the Roth account, 22, 24%, maybe even higher, but I'm willing to do that now while I'm working and I have an income source because I can see the value down the road of having that tax-free bucket in retirement. And one of the things we talk about in the program is once you are retired, that's where you can really leverage your Roth account uh, in order to avoid paying higher marginal rates when you are retired. Because yeah. you know, when you're retired, you have a finite bucket of money. Some of us are going to have more than others, but you're still going into retirement with a, a limited, technically a limited amount of resources. And I think the appeal of being able to manage your tax bill in retirement by saying, okay, hey, I'm bumping into the 22 or the 24% bracket. I don't want to pay 22 or 24%. So I'll tap into my Roth account and take a tax-free distribution. I think, I think that's a pretty appealing concept to a lot of people. No, I agree. Uh, I'll add two um, points to the very good ones you've already advanced. And that is not only, this is my opinion, tax rates are low and that's backed up by historical information. It's not just the tax rate, but the amount of money you could earn and stay in those lower rates. In the future, it may not be that advantageous. That would be my position. It's not just the lower rates, but the brackets are larger at the lower rates. You graduate to the higher levels at higher income than you used to before the tax cuts were passed under the Trump administration. And the other thing is that the advantage of the Roth, which is attractive in retirement planning, is that there's no required minimum distribution. And that's a factor too, right? That's Yeah, that's a really good point, Chris, because you know, when we think about the attractiveness of having that Roth money, it kind of helps if you look at the alternative. And, and we do that in some of our presentations where we consider what if I've been saving for my, you know, throughout my entire career in tax deferred retirement accounts. The, the, the potential issue there is that if I have all of my money in tax deferred retirement accounts, well, what's going to happen when I get into my 70s? And specifically when I get to 72 and I have to start taking required minimum distributions. Um, because, you know, we talk in one of our presentations about this, this pattern that I know I've observed out there where people who are entering, reti entering retirement tend to fall into a very familiar pattern. You know, they'll claim social security early. They'll supplement their social security with their non-tax deferred assets, right? Like if I have just, you know, money sitting in a savings account at the bank or something, I'll use that to supplement my income. And they'll hold off on taking distributions from their qualified accounts until they have to, because either they run out of money from other places or now they have to start taking required minimum distributions. And that can cause an issue because once you get into required minimum distributions, you've kind of lost control over how much income you're going to take from that account. You're going to take what the IRS tells you you have to take, whether you need it or not. You can't convert an RMD to a Roth, so you're kind of stuck with that and, and, and paying taxes on that money. So, you know, that's that can be a challenge. And where that challenge becomes compounded 
is when one spouse eventually passes away. Because now you can have a situation where a surviving spouse still has to take those RMDs because in many cases, you know, husband and wife are going to be fairly close in age. That's right. The spouse is going to typically be the primary beneficiary of all of the qualified retirement plans. And so one spouse passes away, a surviving spouse has to continue taking substantially similar RMDs. And yet going forward, they're going to be a single filer. And to pick up on a point that you made earlier, you know, when we look at the brackets, um, married, cu married couples have a real advantage in retirement because they have those married filing jointly brackets, which are significantly wider than the single filer brackets. You can have more income before you get to those higher tax rates. You know, this is something we call the widow's penalty because now you know, where you have those large RMDs and you're filing as a single filer, you're getting to much higher marginal rates at much lower levels of income. And that's, that's a significant risk um, when we think about having, you know, potentially too much money in tax deferred retirement accounts. So that's another reason. So your, your observation that Roths don't have required minimum distributions, that's a big part of the equation. Uh, and it's a really good point. It is. And, you know, my take on this, uh, Doug, is that people's natural inclination, and I, I think this was from best practices in the past, and it doesn't really apply today, is to defer as long as you can. Right. Don't pay taxes on money that you don't need today. I've been in the business 29 years, going on 30 years, and that was the best practice. But that adage for many people, not all, doesn't work so well any longer. And this is really important, listeners. This is really important because if you have been successful in accumulating a decent amount of money in pre-tax retirement accounts, uh, you want to work with someone, either do it yourself, your CPA, a financial planning firm like uh, Elliott Wealth Management, the work that I do, is to kind of map things out and forecast because in some instances, it will make sense to take money out of that pre-tax, either take it out and spend it or convert it to Roth IRAs, which I want to talk to you, Doug, about before you have to. By doing it earlier, in many instances, that will potentially save you money in taxes. And it's really, really worth considering. The default position of default uh, deferring as long as possible doesn't work in a lot of instances in today's right. marketplace. I think you would agree with that, right, Doug? Thousand percent. I absolutely agree with that. And I think you're, you're making a really, really great point about being strategic in how we draw down our retirement accounts. Because, you know, when you talk about the opportunity to potentially pull money out of tax deferred accounts and do it at a fairly low effective tax rate, that is really compelling. And that's taking advantage of what we got under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Because when you, when you look at the brackets that were, not only the brackets that were set up under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but when you also look at the new larger standard deduction that is available for retirees, people age 65 and higher, it really gives you the opportunity to pull some money out at a fairly low effective tax rate. Remember, if you're a married couple filing a joint return right now, you're standard and you're both age 65, your standard deduction is $27,800. And that's like having a 0% tax bracket. 
So absolutely, why wouldn't you take advantage of that to get some money out of your tax deferred retirement accounts? And, and, you know, and it's really funny because a lot of people hear me say that and they say, well, you know, that's really early in retirement. And, you know, what about, you know, your long-term uh, retirement income? And, and it's like, well, wait a minute, I'm not saying spend it. I'm just saying, get it out of the tax deferred account. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can save yeah. it in a taxable brokerage account. You can, you can convert some of it to a Roth. These are all exactly you know, right. good ideas. It's, you know, it's take crucial, what they give you. It's a crucial planning topic that's so very important and I think overlooked, especially for individuals who are just going to default to what used to be best practice. It's a great opportunity. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, two things that I saw in the program that you guys have. Uh, the two things are asset location versus asset allocation. And then the other thing is utilizing a Roth IRA as a component of your emergency fund. So maybe we could start with what is meant by asset location versus asset allocation. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah. So when we think about tax diversification and having you know, different buckets of money, what that's going to mean is, you know, we're, we we might have, for example, a traditional brokerage type of account where, you know, that's not not a retirement account. We may have some assets there, and then we may have some assets in tax deferred and or tax free accounts. And when we think of the concept of asset location, what we're what we're thinking about is let's take a big picture approach to our investments. Now, most people are going to have an asset allocation, right? Where they have some money invested in equities, some money in fixed incomes and, and things like that. And what asset location says is, all right, well, if I have a, you know, let's say I have a traditional uh, non-qualified brokerage account. Well, let's hold my tax efficient investments, like for example, stocks and ETFs and things like that. Let's hold those in the tax, um, you know, the, the brokerage account where I can get the benefit of long-term capital gains treatment, tax loss harvesting, things like that. I can keep my tax rate very low on those assets. Let's hold my less tax efficient investments, like for example, you know, corporate bonds that would otherwise be taxable. We'll hold those in the tax deferred account. And if we do that, that's just a way that during the accumulation phases I'm saving for retirement, I can be more tax efficient and I get the benefit of having that tax diversification later on in retirement. And where you might be able to take advantage of that would be to say, okay, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm in retirement. I'm in a, you know, I, I know I'm in the 22% tax bracket on ordinary income. I need some additional money. Well, now I have an option. I could take another distribution from my tax deferred retirement account and pay 22% or I could go to that non-qualified brokerage account and either A, you know, tax loss harvest as a way to get money out of that account with basically no tax liability. Or even if I can't do that, I can take advantage of a 15% tax rate on long-term capital gains and still be improving my overall tax situation by doing that. So that's certainly one way that we can take advantage of asset location through, um, through you know, both as we save and then as we get into retirement. And so now I forgot the second leg of your question. No, I'll remind you, but before we get to the second leg, 
Uh, what you're saying harkens back to what we talked about. Why did I say harken? That's a stupid word. <laughs> back to what we said at the beginning of the conversation, that if you have different buckets of money, yep, um, yep. year over year with proper planning, you hopefully could generate the income that you want to have a secure and fulfilling retirement. But you could also pay attention to the, the where the money is, what the rules are, tax and otherwise, and figure out where to take income while being as tax sensitive as possible. And right, so right. by having those buckets of money that opens up the planning opportunities that you can take advantage of year after year during retirement. And in some years, there may not be anything that can be done, but there are some years I see with planning with clients, Doug, that um, we could save significant amounts of money either right away with some smart planning or over the course of lifetime or even passing money on to the next generation. Oh, yeah. Some, I'll say tax alpha, which is fancy word for we could save tax money in the overall scheme of things. It's very, very powerful. That is why having the multiple buckets of money is really, really important. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I just remembered the second leg of your question, which was, what about an emergency fund or something like that? And that's- gonna remind, I, I was going to remind you. I, I wouldn't leave I know. Well, I, I remembered it on my own, so I'm going to run with it. Um, no, having a- I say, I love that application for Roth accounts. Uh, not just emergencies, but the other use of Roth accounts that I always like to talk about is, you know, we all, when we retire, we all have a list of, we all have a bucket list, right? We have the, uh, that list of fun stuff that we want to do. And having a Roth account is perfect for those big one-off expenses you're going to have in retirement. Doesn't matter what it is. It might be the round the world cruise. Maybe you want to buy a boat, whatever you're into, whatever, all the fun stuff you want to do always a great option to be able to tap into a Roth account for those things because you can pull the money you need without adding to your tax liability for the year. And same thing with any sort of emergency that you may run into, being able to tap in, take care of it, but not add to your tax liability, I think is, is really great. But the other point that you just made, which is super important, has to do with you know wealth transfer. And if you are thinking about not only you know planning for yourself, but planning for potential beneficiaries, this is another area where Roth accounts can be very useful because when we think about leaving retirement assets to our beneficiaries, we have to be mindful of the fact that we got a significant change in tax law at the end of 2019 that basically changed the distribution options for um, tax-deferred retirement accounts. You, it used to be that if I inherited a retirement account from a non-spouse, like my mom or dad, for example, I could figure out my life expectancy, and then I could spread the distributions from that account over my life expectancy. This was called stretching an IRA, very effective strategy to minimize our tax liability over the long haul. Well, unfortunately, we've got a piece of legislation called the SECURE Act that largely eliminated that stretch opportunity. And so now most people who are inheriting an IRA from a parent, for example, we're only gonna have 10 years to spend down uh, to basically draw down that account and pay all the taxes on it. And if I'm in a high tax bracket, right, as a beneficiary, that's a real dilemma because now 
all of that money is essentially going to be taxed at my highest marginal rate. And that's not very tax efficient. So this is where some planning on the part of um, you know, people who have those beneficiaries can be very, very beneficial. So if I'm sitting there in retirement and I know that my potential beneficiaries are doing very well financially and they have significant income and they're already in a high bracket, what I might want to do is, you know, because I'm retired and I'm theoretically, I should be in a lower bracket paying a lower effective rate. That's where I might want to think about doing some small annual Roth conversions at lower tax rates in order to build that tax-free bucket up, not just for myself, but also potentially for my beneficiaries down the line. So yeah, that's a, that's a great strategy. Because um, just so everybody's on the same page, if I inherited a Roth IRA from someone, I would be able to withdraw that money from the inherited Roth IRA or the inherited Roth account. I would be able to take that out tax-free as the beneficiary. That's um, right. So I mean, there's one possible exception to that that's hardly even worth mentioning. But um, yeah, generally speaking, that money is going to come out tax-free, right? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, it's another terrific planning opportunity that uh, we work with clients on that I know the Retirement Institute tries to get this information out there to help uh, the public make smart choices and minimize taxes is that family tax planning topic opens up lots of different planning opportunities. I want to, um, Doug, in the time we have left, just cover Roth conversions a bit. We right. referenced it a little earlier. So maybe you could walk through some uh, simple illustrations on when might a Roth conversion make sense. And I say might, listeners, right. uh, you know, we're not giving you specific individual advice. We're talking in generalities. We want this to be educational. You should not take anything that we say and act on it without researching it, checking with your professionals. So we're going to kind of cover some examples of when you might want to consider a Roth conversion. What's the first one you want to throw out there, Doug? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I, I would actually start by saying um, I would always consider a Roth conversion to be sort of your... Um, uh, last option in terms of getting money into a Roth account um, because Roth conversions can work very well, but they can lead to some unintended consequences that we should be familiar with. So I would say, you know, if you're interested in a Roth, getting some money into a Roth account and you're still working, take advantage of the Roth, you know, the qualified retirement plan option first. Now, Yes. When we think about conversions, you know, the, the, the issue is what, what for the first issue is going to be what will your tax rate be on the conversion? Um, if you're still working and you have, you know, you find yourself in a relatively high marginal tax bracket, it's going to be tough to make a really strong case for a conversion because you're, you know, you're potentially going to be paying taxes at that high marginal rate. Where I see an opportunity for many people, though, is in the early years of retirement. So let me give you a quick hypothetical. Let's say I'm, I'm 65 years old and I retire. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, I, I'm not doing anything when I retire. I'm not gonna have a part-time job or anything like that. So I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be done working. 
So I'm not going to have any other income. And my plan at this point is to delay Social Security until at least full retirement age, maybe even 70, depending on how I'm doing at that point. So I'm going to have a little window of time between 65 to 70 where I'm not going to have a lot of other income. That would be a good time to potentially start doing some Roth conversions. Because remember, as I'm pulling money out of my tax-deferred retirement accounts to do the conversion, remember, I'm going to have that big standard deduction starting at age 65. We follow that with a 10% bracket. And then we have a 12% bracket. And the bottom line is, when I look at that, for a married couple filing a joint return, I could pull out about $108,000 from my tax-deferred retirement accounts, spend some of it, convert some of it. But the bottom line is my effective tax rate on that first $108,000 is going to be about 8.5%. And you know, again, from by historical standards, if I can pay federal income taxes at 8.5%, that's a pretty good opportunity. So, so I think that is the way we want to be thinking about Roth conversions. Can I do the conversion at a very low rate? Because then when you think about my beneficiary, let's say, you know, um, I have, I have you know, my beneficiary is going to be my adult son. And he's been, you know, God willing, very successful in making a lot of money. Well, I'm paying taxes at eight and a half percent, and I'm saving him potentially from having to pay taxes on that account at his top marginal rate. And so that's where that's where I think Roth conversions can really make a lot of sense as a part of an overall wealth transfer strategy where I'm taking advantage of my relatively low tax rate to save my beneficiary from having to pay taxes on a potentially at a potentially much higher tax rate in the future. Very good. I think uh, in the course of life, there tends to be an ebb and a flow with income. And so again, planning opportunities do often present themselves, including that 65 to 70 year old time frame for many people where considering Roth conversions make sense. Uh, There are other times as well, it's individualized, but it is something that uh, people ought to pay attention to. Almost everybody's goal is to mitigate taxes, to reduce their tax liability whenever, wherever possible within legal construct, of course. And so this is really great information with the Roth IRAs. Doug, this was a wonderful discussion. I want to thank you. I want to thank the Retirement Institute and Nationwide for helping me put together this three-part series. And in fact, it's going to be the first in what will be two series. So this is, again, the second episode. Uh, Listeners, uh, if you want more information about this, go to my website, elliotwealth.com. Uh, you could sign up for a complimentary consultation where we could discuss this and other topics. Uh, We would love to help you get closer to achieving your financial goals, help you win with money. So thanks for listening today. Thank you, Doug. I will be back on the next episode of the Simply Financial Podcast very soon. Thanks again. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. 
Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.